will we be getting more interesting baseball transactions before the expected December 1st lockout we'll be discussing in today's edition of Fantasy Baseball Prospects and More, the first ever solo recording of Fantasy Baseball Prospects and more. And if we're getting right into it, I think the biggest story from this past couple of weeks, really since the World Series ended, has been some of these surprise transactions. I'd like to just share share some initial thoughts on them. And I really want to shape these thoughts through the lens of understanding that it's mid-November right now. And sure, you could argue, Tuma, it is November 20th, and you're recording this, sharing some 2022 fantasy baseball thoughts. No one should be thinking about that right now. And I would say that's that's a little bit valid. I don't think we need to be giving super micro-level takes in mid-November. But, you know, this show has always been a little bit more framed around dynasty leagues and prospects. And I'd love to make it more around just general baseball as a whole. And, and you know, for me, it's it's a year-round calendar. There's always things to be discussing. Furthermore, I do think it's good to start exercising your brain for 2022 fantasy. And the way that I describe doing so, which I described on the most recent Fantasy Pros MLB podcast that I did with Chris Welsh, which just came out on Friday, November 19th. Go out and listen to that if you haven't yet. But the way I described it is, I think we should give, you know, slight leans or slight fades on player takes right now. Obviously, we don't, we, we are starting to get some very early ADP data, but we don't have everything just yet. But we can forecast a bit. So in a little bit, I'll be talking about Bobby Witt. And I think it's okay to say, look, if he ends up a top 60 pick come draft season, that yeah, I'm, I'm going to be fading that a little bit. And, you know, we can just leave it at that for now. And there's still, you know, keeper league values to discuss and risers and fallers and all that. So I think it's okay to be discussing fantasy baseball if we do it through that lens. So I'm going to use the start of this solo show as a bit of an emptying the mailbag. And again, like I said, just talking through some of these recent moves. I'll start with the Justin Verlander re-signing with the Astros. Very notable, really with all the contracts that have taken place so far, is they seem pretty, in my opinion, player friendly you know we've had some off seasons recently where players it really seemed were getting the short end of the stick with what they should be worth teams not wanting to spend money a lot of you know discourse about that and arguments on you know twitter and whatnot but so far these signings are in a pretty good spot and we'll start with verlander you know it was a one-year 25 million dollar contract but it has a player option for 25 million in 2020 three so it's basically a two-year 50 million dollar contract for him that gives him a lot of flexibility that's pretty huge for a 39 year old coming off tommy john surgery i just want to note that the last time we saw 
Verlander, you know, in 2018, 2019, he was as dominant as ever. I mean, in, in 19, he won the Cy Young Award. He went 21 and six with a 258 ERA and 300 strikeouts. He led the league with 223 innings. So he's also, you know, remaining with the Astros, who we project to win a lot of games. And, you know, he should be pitching reasonably deep into those games. It's a good sign that the Astros were comfortable re-signing him for this amount of money you know they know his arm and elbow situation better than anyone right now so I would say you know all good signs for Verlander there will be workload questions you know especially early on he has you know really defied the aging curve as of late so there are reasons to want to believe in him I think he carries a decent amount of risk I think the most likely outcome is that not, you know, necessarily that he gets injured or anything again, but just that he's good and not, you know, great like in 2019. But if he gives a big workload, I mean, that that really helps him stand out as well. So definitely good thing for Verlander. We'll, we'll really have to see where the ADP is come March. The other Tommy John signee was Noah Syndergaard. He signed with the Angels for one year. And 21 million. You look at early NFBC drafts, and Syndergaard's ADP is way lower than Verlander's. There's a lot more skepticism on his health and how much he'll be able to give the Angels this season. I just don't want us to forget how good Syndergaard has been in the past. He has a career 332 ERA and a 718 innings. 0.8 homers per nine. It's the second lowest rate in baseball since Syndergaard debuted. You know, he has a really good arsenal. Above average control, 2.1 walks per nine. The scariest part, you know, is, is the innings forecast. His Tommy John seems a little shakier. Which I don't even fully understand why we're so much more worried about Syndergaard because he actually came back and pitched at the end of this year. I know it was just, you know, two measly innings, but he still got back on a mound at the end of the 2021 big league season. But I do understand it from the aspect that the Angels are likely or basically confirmed to still use a six-man rotation. I think that'll help, you know, keep Syndergaard healthy if he's a part of that. But obviously it, it hurts the volume a bit. And so what should we expect for innings? About 125 or so? On the other hand, the Angels are going to be motivated, you know, to use Syndergaard because it's only a one-year deal. So right now, I would rather, and this is something the Welsh and I talked about on the latest Fantasy Pros MLB show, but, you know, if it's Verlander at pick 100 or Syndergaard at pick 200, I would rather Syndergaard. A lot of this is format-specific, you know, how deep your league is, and we'll have plenty of time to discuss that throughout the offseason. Before I get into the last few pieces of news here, I also just wanted to note when I have a guest on, you know, I really try to keep the show to half an hour, really try to, you know, help differentiate it that way. And I don't want to, you know, waste time promoting my own stuff or anything like that. But on these, I'm going to try to do solo solo shows a little bit more often during the off season and just, you know, just share some updates on, you know, on podcast and some patreon stuff and some fancy pros work and all that but the, the idea of the show you know and you again you you know this if you've been listening but it's really to keep it to half an hour and and you know not wasting you know the five ten minutes at the top of 
a lot of podcasts with intros and inside jokes and all that and whatnot, really just trying to get more into it. That does mean I'm, you know, foregoing, uh, you know, sharing updates and, and just, you know, promoting things. But I really want to keep the show more, when I have a guest, especially more on the content and when I'm doing, you know, my own recordings, kind of talk about some other things and, and yeah, in that sort of light. So the only thing I want to mention here is that if you have been listening and you at all enjoy it, you know, a rating and review, I, I know, you know, podcasts are always, you know, saying kind of at some points, if you like the show, give a rate and review, but it, it's, it's because it legitimately goes such a long way. And I'm trying to do the show, you know, create it out of thin air and create it from nothing. So every single, you know, five-star rating on Apple, the review on Apple, and then hitting the follow button on Spotify, it just means like so much even more because, you know, trying to get this going from nowhere. So that would be appreciated if you uh, have a few minutes just do that. But I'll, I'll now get into the Jose Barrios extension. This might have been my favorite move of the week because, again, really just came out of nowhere. You know, Syndergaard, you can see him signing as a Tommy John guy early. Same with Verlander. But Barrios, this, this was just awesome. Seven years, $131 million. Really fun fact, he now has the highest contract in Blue Jays history. It surpassed Vernon Wells's seven-year, $126 billion deal from back in the day. I haven't heard that name, Vernon Wells, in a while, but I but I did enjoy hearing that. I think for Brios, it's pretty straightforward at this point. He was a top pitching prospect for a little bit, so there's always been this, you know, why isn't he an ace yet? Why isn't he a top 12 Starter, I think he's really just settled in as a, you know, rock solid number two, who at sometimes might go through some stretches where he pitches like a number three, but I also have some ace like stretches. The key stat for him is that since 2018, he has the second most starts in the majors. Only Aaron Nola has more. Talked about it with Verlander. Volume really matters nowadays. So this is, you know, th- that that is the thing for him a 371 ERA. 378 FIP, 116 WIP since 2018. He isn't a stat cast darling, but this past season he had the best strikeout rate and the best walk rate of his career. Again, just extremely rock solid. Let's ditch the top 12 aspirations for him and just accept him for what he is, which is a fantastic top 25 starting pitcher. All right, so up next we have Eduardo Rodriguez signing with the Tigers, the key stat for him, 2021, he had a 4.74 ERA versus a 3.50 X ERA and a 3.43 X FIP and a career low 7% walk rate. You know, you might be, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez upset a lot of fantasy managers this past season, so you might not want to go into next year having him be someone you might draft. But I think this is a situation to get out. In front of, he was definitely hurt by the Red Sox historically bad defense. If you go on Baseball Savant, you can look at the percent of grounders that a starting pitcher induced that were turned into outs. Erod was at 67%, which ranked last in Major League Baseball. We know Xander Bogart's deficiencies at shortstop do not help his chances, and really Boston's just defense as a whole. So obviously the Tigers think that he is, you know, 
more in line with the underlying numbers than the actual ERA from this past season because they gave him a five-year, $77 million contract. Again, it's player-friendly because it has the opt-out after year two. So in general, you know, Erod's value is trending up. He's a buy in dynasty leagues. And that brings us to Brandon Belt, who was the only player who accepted the qualifying offer. The key stat to note on Belt is that minimum 500 plate appearances over the past two seasons. Belt ranks third in WOBA, WRC+, plus, ISO, and he's second in slugging percentage. Obviously, Oracle Park, where the Giants play, hasn't been as suppressing to power and offense over the past couple of years, which has helped, you know, really turn Belt into a stud on a per at bat basis. I do think platooning could again be an issue. So Belt probably has a little bit more value in daily lineup leagues, but in general, he's probably just really underrated right now. I like that he's staying with the Giants. They obviously know what they're doing when it comes to developing their veteran hitters over the past two years. The final piece of news was that John Morosi of MLB.com reported Bobby Witt Jr. will be given every chance to make the Royals opening day roster as their third baseman. So there's a lot to unpack here. I think, one, I've already seen the Witt hype get extremely out of control over at NFBC. And again, this NFBC is really different because it's 15-team league, roto leagues, you need to understand that people drafting in November, you know, are you know enthusiasts and diehards and 15 team leagues. You, you really want to sell out for upside. So it's this ADP info isn't to be taken, you know, it's it's to be taken with a grain of salt. But as of the other night, Bobby Wood Jr. was right outside the top 75 picks. That is crazy. And I thought we would get a little bit more of a discount on some rookies and prospects in general, in 2022, just because so many came up and didn't pan out right away, maybe that'll still happen with you know some of the Tier 2, Tier 3 type prospects and just not Bobby Witt Jr. I also think a lot of the guys, you know, like Kelnick and you know, Dylan Carlson and some of those other guys who didn't necessarily pan out in 2021 will be had at a discount and whatnot, but this is very noticeable, or, or sorry, this is very notable. And I'm not, I don't want to, again, get too micro level discussing his ADP right now because it could be way different in casual leagues. But you're not going to hear many people say anything bad about Bobby Witt Jr. It's just one of those situations where it comes down to your risk tolerance and how much, you know, you weigh in, you factor in Witt's upside versus floor. But this past season, you know, he hit 290 with 33 homers and 29 steals in the minors. Since 2000, there have only been eight 30-30 seasons, and he nearly became the ninth to do so in you know 20 years. So he's a stud. We know that there'll be plenty of time to discuss the ADP. I think the more interesting part of this for Dynasty Leagues is that Morosi noted you know he would be given the chance to play third base on an every everyday basis, and I thought. My understanding was that the Royals were frustrated with Edibardo Mondesi. They were moving him to third base to open the door for Witt. Again, it was a mid-November report. It also really came out of nowhere. So we will see on that. But if anything, it could be you know multi-position 
eligibility for the top prospect coming to the majors. And so we're going to close with a couple of listener questions. This is something I really want to add in to the show for some of these solo recordings. Moving forward, we'll start with Mostaming on Twitter asked if I could do a bit of a deep dive on Luis Matos. And yeah, I mean, 2021 was amazing for Matos. He was 19 years old playing in low A. On the first of all, sorry, he's an outfielder for the Giants, for those who don't know. He doesn't walk much, but he also doesn't strike out much. He has got great contact skills, bat speed, foot speed, developing power. And he is so young, so you know, you don't want to get too carried away with it. I think a bit of an interesting element to his profile is that he's on the Giants, and we've just seen the Giants be so smart and ahead of the curve with player development. I know it's been more so with their veteran hitters, but we've also seen on the pitching side, I just trust that organization in general right now. So I want to be high on Matos. He has rankings, you know, within some of the more fantasy centric prospect rankers, you know, out there within, you know, the top 25. I think that's more than justifiable. I think you could justify him as a top 10 guy. If you look at Baseball America, MLB.com right now, they're not going to have him as high until their updated lists come out, you know, around January, February. I'll be really interested to see where he goes. But the other debate that you might see around Matos, and this is partly because people are starting to, I don't want to say sour on Marco Luciano, but just, just the, the, The wild expectations have been tempered a bit with Luciano. He, he struggled a bit. He's he's also still so young. He's a shortstop for the Giants. The thought might be that Matos's his speed, his hit tool, could both be better than Luciano, and he might just be more well-rounded in general. So he's definitely someone to be buying in on. And then finally, Wonky Penguin on Patreon asked two questions. I did just want to note if you're interested in things like viewing my Google Docs for both baseball and football, which are both about 40 pages long, just full of notes. Any I do so much reading on you know the athletic articles and just fantasy content around the industry and listening to podcasts and all this stuff. And anytime I see anything mildly interesting or that I want to make sure I remember for a future time that I'm writing or podcasting, I add it to these Google Docs and I think the best way to use them is, you know, you might want to do some research on Eduardo Rodriguez. You search his name in the Google Doc and, and you see what I have here. I, I try to keep the key stats updated. And that's when, you know, I was given those key stats for the players we discussed earlier. That's where I pull them from. The other thing is I have some very early 2022 fantasy baseball rankings over at Patreon. I do some of these solo recordings that are usually only about 10 minutes long, you know, either reacting to news or just talking about more macro level topics in general that I find interesting and whatnot. So I'm I'm trying to do a lot more on Patreon and and keep it, you know, to a schedule somewhat. But but yeah, I did just want to mention that as well, because I know that a lot of the people in there have found some enjoyment interacting and whatnot. But anyways, Wonky Penguin asked if, She's in a dynasty league with two two and a slots. Players can be held for as many years as possible for zero dollars. So 
You know, it seems like kind of like a farm system setup. She asked if there was any reason to hold on to Jason Dominguez and Alec Bohm. So this, I like this question because it's a little bit philosophical. And to me, you know, it's less about exactly who Jason Dominguez is. We just have so little data on him that I'm not ready to jump to any conclusions, whether he's amazing or whether he sucks. But I think with some of those really young top prospects, it becomes hard in certain formats to hold them just forever and ever. So those guys, those types, I think, and you know, honestly, Matos fits into this description as well. But I think they have the most value if you play, you know, a 16-team dynasty league with deep minor league rosters or, you know, things like that. If you're only holding two prospects for zero dollars, my guess is that isn't the case. It's a long way of saying, you know, in those more shallower formats, just because someone is, you know, a top, top prospect, if they're like 18, 19 and a few years away from from reaching the majors, I don't always necessarily think they're worth holding over someone who might not rank as highly on a top prospect list, but who's closer to the majors and you just have a more immediate chance to, you know, evaluate that player and move on. Again, I don't know the exact I don't know the exact settings of this league, so I could be wrong that it's, you know, a little deeper in terms of minor leaguers, but again, that is just something to keep in mind and it's been it's been a bit of a, you know, more popular conversation recently. I think there's a push within again more so obviously not the baseball america mlb.com type rankings, but more so within the fantasy prospect community about just trying to get some more immediate impact. And then finally, she asked how I became a prospect guru, but I really want to, you know, know, I don't consider myself a guru. I think of myself more as a prospect super fan and a fantasy baseball player. And that's really what tries to drive a lot of my content. But if anyone is interested, it did. It does date back to Growing up playing fantasy, my first year was 2005, playing, you know, sharing a team with my dad. And by 2007, we joined a startup, a big keeper league. It was like 16 teams, nine man rosters, and then four minor leaguers that you keep that, you know, they have to be minor leaguers. So that really just got my brain working in, in keeper league modes and whatnot. And I really like that format. And I think. Dynasty and keeper leagues, it, it just you you get to be a little bit more of a. I know it's not for everyone, but you get to be a little bit more of that actual GM feeling than than you do in redraft. But gonna wrap it up with that. I've paused and stopped a couple times, so I don't know exactly how long this recording's coming in. I think it's gonna be between twenty and twenty five minutes. But hopefully, people found this type of solo recording, you know helpful it's it's basically you know on weeks where i don't have a guest it's either you know do a solo recording or don't do a show at all i you know putting in the effort to keep this show going again ratings and reviews go a really long way please don't hesitate to reach out you know anytime on twitter with questions or feedback or any of that and yeah i will be back next weekend most likely hope everyone Has a great holiday as the baseball offseason moves along. 